see you here at the five o'clock service. And uh, as you've already heard, we're looking forward to Easter week. And Grace for the City, Tuesday evening, we're going to fill Westminster Chapel with our praise. We're going to make it a night of honor for Jesus. So exciting to be able to get all the services together and the churches together. And those of you that have been to a Grace for the City at Westminster Chapel before will know it's a very different meeting. It's very special. And uh, we've done a lot of work on taking it to the next level. So we're excited about that. Of course, Good Friday. Um, Good Friday, we have a communion service here at Kensington Temple, 11 o'clock Good Friday. And then Sunday, our senior minister, Colin, will be speaking at the 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock service, Easter Sunday. And then R.T. Kendall, it's great to have him back. Uh, he's been ministering in Sweden to great effect this week and flying in just about now, I think, home after a very busy week, not just teaching at the Bible school in Stockholm that is affiliated to KT's Bible school. Uh, the brothers that run the church and the Bible school actually went through IBIOL. And so RT's been teaching there. And he's also, on Wednesday, uh, they called together many of the important, significant leaders in Stockholm and the area around that so that RT could address them. So it's, it'll be good to have him back next Sunday on Resurrection Sunday at the 5 o'clock service, and he'll also be ministering at the 7 o'clock. I'm going to be ministering at the 7 o'clock on something that's very dear to me at the moment, and I'll be talking about Jacob wrestling with God. I know it's quite a famous passage, and some people might say, oh, I've heard sermons on that, but uh, unless you've wrestled with God recently, then uh, it's hard to talk about what that's about, but I believe I've got some insight about what God is doing. You see, when Jacob wrestles the angel, to begin with, it's the angel wrestling Jacob, wrestling him into submission, taking away from him everything that he was relying on, and even touching the socket of his hip till he got to the place where he could rely on nothing. He had nothing. He could rely on nothing. And then the wrestling match changed. Before it was Jacob struggling. But once he was touched at his, weak, at his strongest point in the hip, and uh, he wouldn't let go. And then it was the angel of the Lord trying to get, but he wouldn't let go. God has to wrestle us into submission, you know. And many of us, that's what he's doing. And once he's wrestled us into submission, that's the very point when we cannot let him go. We will not let him go. We've got nothing else but to hang on to God. And I'll be delivering that. Uh, and we'll be praying for the sick and those in need as, as the Lord leads us. But today we are continuing our series on the offense of the gospel. Last week we, we looked a little bit at the offense of the gospel, why the gospel is offensive. Um, and we looked at the verse there behind me, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him shall not be put to shame. And the word offense in the New Testament that we're using, uh, the Greek word is scandalon, scandalon. And that's where we get the English word scandal. I mean, you're reading this word all the time in the newspapers, aren't you? Especially those particular tabloids. They're just full of scandal, aren't they? Scandal. So-and-so done this, so-and-so done that. And everybody picks it up and says, did you hear what happened to that person? Did you know what they got up to? It's a scandal and everybody is, oh, I can't believe that they would do such thing. They're, they're offended about it. And the word scandalon, from which scandal is taken, is actually speaking about a trap. And the scandalon was a part of a trap that you would use for animals. It was the part of the trap where you'd put the bait. So it was that part that attracted the animal, the bait, whatever that might be. And then the animal would take the bait and the trap would shut and the animal would not be able to get away. That's exactly what can happen with a fence. At the 2.30 service earlier on, Kemi Ajayi was ministering on a fence as a blind spot. In other words, when we're offended, very often... We don't realize we're offended. If we did, we'd do something about it. But we're speaking more at the five o'clock on the gospel as an offense and also how God offends and the offense of the gospel. And today, 
I want to speak a little bit about God and how God offends. It might be quite strange. We looked at the gospel and how that can offend last week. Don't want to cover that. That's up on the media as all of our services are if you want to watch that. But you know, God will sometimes offend us in order to reveal what's really in our heart. And if we're aware of that, if we're aware that God can and will offend us, then we're in a position where we can grow. But if we're not aware of how God and his word and his spirit can sometimes offend us, we, we are doomed to immaturity. Let's start in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And we have here Jesus speaking to the seven churches of Revelation. And it's interesting because these seven churches of Revelation, if you asked them to tell you how they were doing, they would have given you a pretty decent report. They would have said, hey, we're doing all right. There's things that could be better, but we're doing okay. But when you look, and I remember one I think it was five o'clock service, a couple of five o'clock services. I looked at these passages, I think it was last year or the year before, and we went through the message of the Spirit and Jesus to these churches. And we found that what Jesus had to say about these churches is, is pretty tough and almost offensive. If you read it for a time, you imagine you're any of these churches. Jesus, by the Spirit, does not pull any punches. And so here at the, the Laodicean church, the lukewarm church, let's read from verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot, so, that, so then because you are lukewarm... I'm neither cold nor hot. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with salve, eye salve, that you may see, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. So here we have a particular situation where God's view of the church and the church's view of itself were the exact opposite. And this church, the church of the Laodiceans, they thought that they were really on fire for God. They thought that they were wealthy in the spirit, that they were rich in God, and they didn't think that they needed anything. They thought their lives with God was great. They thought their ministry was excellent. They thought everything that they did, maybe they looked at some of the other churches around and said, we're far better than them. And they had this blind spot, this arrogance, and their view of themselves was the exact opposite from, Jesus, uh, from, from the view that Jesus had of them. There was no humility there. And so imagine their surprise and their offense or the potential, let me put it that way, for offense. Jesus comes in by the Spirit, and uh, he hits them right between the eyes. He doesn't uh, soften the blow. He says, you're not cold, you're not hot. I wish that you were either, but you're lukewarm. And in Laodicea, there was a lukewarm springs. They had sulfur springs, and those springs if you drank that lukewarm water, it would make you vomit. I remember, I come from a town in Harrogate, I come from a town called Harrogate, which is a spa town. And as kids, we used to like dare ourselves to go down to the well and to press the button, and out would come this spa water that smelt like rotten eggs. 
and uh, we, we, we would say, go on, have, have a drink. And when you have a drink and the smell, you'd want to be sick. Well, this is the same sort of thing. And this is what he's saying to them. He's going to vomit you out. He says, Jesus basically said in verse 16, you make me sick. <laughs> you ever heard anybody say that? You know, he makes me sick. She makes me sick. Jesus is saying, you make me sick. Why? Because you say you're one thing and you're not. He says, you think you're rich. You think you're doing well. You think you're on top. You think you have all you need spiritually. You think you're a church that's on the edge. You think you're a strong ministry. But you're not. You're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And then he tells them to to get gold, fire, and then to get anointing to put on their eyes so that they can see. God will often offend us because we're blind. It's the blindness of our minds that causes us to be offended. We'll see this again and again in the Gospels, that the reason that people were offended because of Jesus is because they were blind and couldn't see what he was saying or what he was doing. They had their opinions set about themselves, about religion, about God. And when Jesus challenged their opinions, they were offended because of their hardness of heart. The Laodiceans were totally blind to their own true condition. Let me ask you. Is it possible that you're totally blind to your true spiritual condition? Is it possible? Is it possible that the way that you rate yourself in the kingdom of God is actually very different to the way that God rates you? You see, I've been thinking about this for many years, and the problem is, is that we tend to be, as Christians, thermometers rather than thermostats. So the temperature of spirituality that we have come across in our lives, we tend to think that that's the norm. So we tend to judge our spiritual lives by those that are around us. And if those that are around us are at one level of spirituality, and perhaps we're just a few steps ahead, we tend to think that, like the Laodiceans, we're pretty hot for God. Maybe you've come from a church background where, uh, where you've known nothing different than lukewarm Christianity. Well, if, you, if you've never tasted hot faith, or, or if you've never felt hot faith, then lukewarm to you is red hot. Do you hear what I'm saying? Now, if we began, if, if, if we are thermometers, we're going to be in, prob- in problems. This is why it's good to read about the revivals of the past, when the, te- or the temperature of great Christians, because If we just judge ourselves by one another, we'll get into a place where we just stay where we are because this is what's normal. But when you begin to look at Jesus and Paul and his disciples and when you begin to read of the great revivals and the great men and women of God in the past, and I'm not just talking about the famous ones, but the moves of God, the Salvation Army and and what people used to do for Jesus and their sacrifice, immediately... you you begin to see, wait a second, maybe I'm not as hot as I think I am. Maybe I'm not as on fire as I think I am. Maybe maybe I've got a long way to go before I become what I think that I am, blind to their own condition. Now, unless you come to God with humility about these things, uh, you're going to be blinded by it. The Spirit is the one, when the Spirit manifests, as we see in this passage, and the Word manifests, then often it will will offend you. When was the last time the Spirit of God offended you? When was the last time that God spoke to you and offended you? I'm not talking about condemning you. That's the devil. Do you hear what I'm saying? I hope I'm not speaking to baby Christians here today, because you'll start taking what I'm saying as condemnation, and it's not. On the contrary, is to bring us and sanctify us to new levels. I'm not talking about condemnation. That's from the devil. But when was the last time that you allowed or heard the Holy Spirit rebuke you? When was the last time the Word of God rebuked you? 
When was the last time you felt undone before the Lord? When was the last time you looked at the Word of God and said, Oh my God, oh my goodness me. When I look at the temperature of my life and I read the temperature that the Word of God is saying, I am nothing like this. When was the last time when you got before God and you said, Oh my God, help me. I need you. You see, pride will always allow us to think that everything is okay as it is, especially if we look at others and perceive that, that we think that we're better than them. But humility is looking for those thorny words to come and speak to them. I remember once God spoke to me very clearly, and I was complaining to him, and, I, and it was a number of years ago, and I was complaining to him about a number of people that I was leading. And I was saying, Lord, you know, these people that I'm leading, you know, it's just, I, I just can't do anything. It's so difficult. I mean, how are you expecting me to do this, that, and the other when I've got these people that I'm leading and they're, they're not stepping up to the plate, etc., etc., etc.? And I remember I was praying about it. Early in the morning, I was in bed. I was just moaning to the Lord. And then I just felt the Lord rebuke me by the Spirit and say, well, how do you think I coped with my 12 disciples? And I thought, my God, what am I complaining for? Look at what he had to deal with. They all ran away. They all ran away, and one betrayed them. And I felt rebuked. And at first, I was like, that's a bit harsh. And then, then afterwards, a few hours later, I thought, Thank you, Lord, those words were clean, and they were fire. And I thought, I'm so pleased that you rebuked me. That's the best thing that's happened to me for a long while. Not just about that particular issue, but I felt I counted it afterwards, after I'd recovered from the rebuke, and I, I can't really impart to you what the rebuke was like, can I? Because it was, it was a personal thing. But I thought, that was so wonderful. That didn't just, re it rebuked me, and I thought, Wow. I thought, here I am, think, you know, talking to God. When he speaks back, he rebukes those who he loves. Now, if we, if we go to Peter. Um, one, Peter two, six. 1 Peter 2, 6. Talks about us being living stones. Then 1 Peter 2, 6. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion... A chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were appointed, but you are a chosen generation. What is this saying? It's saying that if we come to Jesus with faith, when we hear his rebuke or when his word speaks into our lives, a word of correction or a word of rebuke or, or, or God shakes us or speaks to us, because we're coming to him in faith, we're grateful for that. You know, there's certain people you just can't speak straight to. Certain people, you, you just, you know that they are so sensitive that you just can't speak straight to them. Because if you did, you, knew what the, you know what the interaction would be. Do you know what I'm talking about? Offense, hurt, anger. And so there's certain people and you look at them, and you know who they are. Maybe it's you. And, it, and you know, if I say, even if I'm saying it for their own good, they'll think I'm saying it for their bad. You see? We can't be like that. The church of Jesus Christ is far too oversensitive. There's many people in Kensington Temple that are oversensitive. And because they're oversensitive, people that have got something to say to them that will benefit them, although it might not please them, can't do it. And if they do, it's totally rejected because of offense. And they think that everything's all right 
But not even God could speak to them because they already filter from the Word of God what they want to hear. What a terrible place to be that you're so oversensitive that nobody can speak straight to you. But somebody who's mature will say, tell me it's straight. Tell me it's straight. I can filter. I can... Tell me it's straight. I want to hear from you, God, how I'm doing. Do you really? I want to know from you, God. I want, a, I want a health check. I want to know if I need my eyes to be opened. I want to know if I'm lukewarm. I, w- I want to know if I need to buy gold. I want to know these things. I want to, I'm open to correction. And when you're open to correction by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, then God can mold you. But if you're not open to being, if you're not teachable, and I'm finding in these days, generally speaking, people are becoming less and less teachable. I'm not just talking about Christians or people that came here. I'm talking about society in general. People are less open to be taught. They don't want to be taught. They want to teach. They don't want to hear. They want to speak. They'll speak into your life. They'll give you your, their opinion. But they're not really interested in your opinion. If you give it, they'll tolerate it. If it speaks against or speaks into their lives, they'll reject it. Very often I find in, in this day and age that when I meet people or, or I meet ministers from other churches, very few want to hear what I've got to say. Seriously. I mean, I can sit down with them and I can just listen to them and 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 listen to them. And And by the end of the time, they think they've had a great time because they've spoken and spoken. But you know, not once have they asked for my opinion. And I think I've got something to say. Why? Because they're not interested in it. This is, we are talking about being in a place where we are not open to be taught and, and, and God wants us to be this. So those that have faith in this passage, it says that this cornerstone will not put us to shame. In other words, when we believe in Jesus, when we're open to being taught, to having things spoken to us that will bring correction from the Word of God, from the Spirit of God, and from those that God might use, then that is faith, and God will move us and change us and will grow. But we see those that do not believe, that are disobedient, in other words, are not open to being taught, this stone becomes a stumbling block. It's the bait of Satan. It becomes a rock of offense. So Jesus is called a stumbling block and a rock of offense. Imagine that. Now, this isn't my ministry, but imagine if that was my ministry. Bruce, I have called you to be a rock Oh, praise the Lord, like Peter. No, not like Peter. I want you to become a rock of offense. I want you to to preach and deal with people so that they stumble over you. I I want them to be offended. I want them to be annoyed. I want want you to go in there with the truth and and you're going to be known for being offensive. Well, God's not called me to be like that. Let the word do that. But I'm just saying, can you imagine? Can you imagine if you said, Bruce, oh, he's that, he, he gets everybody offended. I'm not going to hear him again. He's rude, he, he, he's not compassionate. He's Well, Jesus was called this. To those that weren't open to his teaching and ministry, he was the ministry of offense, rudeness. Uh, he wasn't sensitive, he was insensitive according to this. So to those who weren't looking to God with faith, saying, teach me, Spirit. Jesus offended them, stumbled them, was a rock of offense. Faith is the opposite to the offended mind. If you are reaching out to God in faith, teach me, Lord, reveal yourself to me, show me who I am, then that type of reaching out in faith, faith is sight. Faith is spiritual sight to come to God. Say, let me see, Lord. Let me see. One of my greatest prayers that I pray, I can honestly say this before you, one of the prayers I often pray to the Holy Spirit is, Holy Spirit, please open my eyes. Please open my eyes. I don't want to be blind to my own self. I don't want to be deaf. I don't want to be dull of hearing. 
dull of heart. I don't, I don't want to be spiritually like in slumber. Dr. R.T. Kendall, hasn't he, been teaching us about the midnight cry, hasn't he? And he's been saying, when the midnight cry comes just before the final moves of God, he says that people is going to be asleep. And some, when they wake up, will find oil ready, and others won't. Well, sleepiness is insensitivity to the Word and the Spirit. We're slumbering on, and we think everything's okay. I'm okay, you're okay, we're okay. But what we need is what 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5 talk about. We need to be sober and alert. For the thief is coming at a time that we don't expect him, though those that are sober and alert will not be taken by surprise. You see, the thief is only a surprise to those that are like drunkard men and asleep. You know what I'm talking about? They don't know what's going on. And what I'm saying today is that offense or oversensitivity or or a lack of Lord, show me the reality of the situation is the same as being asleep. Now, let's look at Jesus and his offensive ministry. Let's go to Matthew chapter 15. Because Jesus offended people. But let me put it this way. It wasn't that Jesus offended people, but it was that people were so easily offended. I don't want us to get into the place where I have heard and seen preachers in the past where that they think that they have been given the commission to offend people by their ministry and preaching. And often what they will do is say offensive things from the pulpit, be purposely offensive from the pulpit, or in talking with people or with people from their church or those that they were leading, they will seek to offend them saying, well, I'm just showing what's really in your heart. That's not the Holy Spirit. On the contrary, we find that that what Paul says at times, he says, "Don't, don't scandal anybody. Don't be offensive on purpose. But Jesus, Jesus offended a lot of people. But as I said, he never offended those that believed or could see. And it wasn't that Jesus was offensive. It was that people were so easily offended by the truth. And you know, when God turns up, and when we preach the whole counsel of God, people are easily offended. <laughs> Let me preach Romans 9 to you. I will, I, that will offend 70% of you. If I just preach Romans 9 to you, you'll be offensive. You say, how does this work? What do you mean, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated? How can God... Very soon, you'll be in danger of offense unless you've got an open heart saying, Lord, I don't understand, but Lord, teach me. I've got a teachable spirit. There's many things in the Bible over the years I've been offended by. And what we do in this current age is when we are offended by something the Bible says, what do we do? We bring in the theologians. And we change what God is saying. We say, God couldn't possibly mean what he said in Romans 9. Why? Because I just can't take that. I just, or somebody says, I just cannot accept that hell is eternal and that those that reject Christ are in conscious torment forever and ever. I'm sorry, I just cannot accept that. Oh, well, that's all right, because there's a new teaching out that says that that's not the case, that actually what happens is everybody's annihilated that doesn't believe. They cease to exist. Oh, well, I can stomach that a lot more. Well, fine, but that's not what the Bible teaches. And today's church, Western church, is full of that kind of teaching in evangelical circles. There's one famous evangelical that's just lost the plot, don't need to name him, a great evangelical of the past, doing great works amongst the poor, preaching the gospel, and then he got to the place where he was doing well in media, and he came to the place where the idea that Jesus dying on the cross was a propitiation, we looked at that last week, to appease the anger of God, he just couldn't take. God's not a God of anger, God's a God of love. Well, the New Testament says he's both. It's what I said last week. 
the propitiation, the anger of God. You know, how do we know what love is? We know that love is this. God sent his own son to be a propitiation. In other words, the wrath of God, the anger of God, righteous anger of God against sin and sinner. God is wrath. The wrath of God is revealed, Romans says, against all ungodliness. Well, in, in today's liberal evangelical church, the idea that God can be angry at anything is just too offensive to our modern mindset. So what does he do? He takes it out. Even the NIV can't stomach the word in 1 John, propitiation. They change it to atoning work. You see? So there's things. Now, some of this stuff is, is, is hard to meet. I mean, there's times when I have believed things in the word of God, not understood it, and it's taken me years to come to terms with it. But God is God. God's not going to change for anybody. And the gospel's not going to change for anybody. And the word of God is not going to change. So, so 2014 has got certain opinions in society about sexuality, morality, theology, what God will do and what God won't do. So we change God to fit? No, you see, what is it? This is offense. This is people taking the offense out of God because he is offensive to the carnal mind. Now here in Matthew chapter 15, verse 7. Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That's just what I've been talking about. We take away the truth of God and we replace it with what we consider palatable palatable teaching for today's generation. And the people are doing this all the time. They're saying, you know, you can't talk about a God of wrath in today's society. They're just, that's like a medieval type of religion. No, no, no. We have to change the gospel for the modern mindset. No, the modern mindset has to change for the gospel. That's why it's an offense, because the gospel says you need to change your thinking. You need to change the way you view yourself. You need to change the way you view God. But in churches up and down Britain, and in evangelistic organizations, we are changing the message in order not to offend the mind, thinking that that will bring people to Christ, and it's not bringing anybody to Christ, or, 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 or very few. People are coming to Christ despite it, not because of it. And Jesus says, look, they say all the right things, but they're changing my teaching. And they're changing the teaching of the Father. Verse 10, when he had called the multitudes to himself, he said, hear and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of a mouth, this defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended, scandalized, trapped when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the ditch. So what, this is revealing a lot of what's going on. It was the blindness that I was speaking about earlier when the Revelation said, see. Remember when Jesus taught parables? The parables had two effects. The parables to those that were hungry for God's word and came to him with faith, the parables opened their minds to the kingdom of God and the truths of the kingdom of God. But it also had a double effect. Those that came with faith and humility, the parables opened the truths of God to them. But those that came with hardness of heart, know-it-all attitudes who want to dissect God on the table and decide what they like and throw away what they don't. Jesus says, to you has been given the understanding of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to those, he preaches in parables that what? Seeing, they do not see. Hearing, they do not hear. Lest they would perceive in their heart and turn to me 
and I would heal them of their sins. You see, God's word, properly preached and taught, God's word has a double effect. It softens hearts, and as it softens hearts, it hardens hearts. Those that are humble before God, those that are seeking God earnestly and honestly, the word of God continues the softening. But those that are arrogant, that really seat themselves in the place of judgment, when the word of God is preached, it hardens their hearts. It, it repels them. And they begin to want to change the doctrines of God and exchange them for the doctrines of man. Their lips, Jesus says, what they say is an honor, but their hearts are far from them. So Jesus is just going around exposing what's, what's in people's hearts. And we should say, God, show me. Show me what's in my heart. Show me the good things and show me the bad things. And Lord, Lord don't, me, don't let me walk in darkness thinking I'm in light. Don't let me go around thinking I see when my eyes are hardly open. I do believe what R.T. Kendall is preaching is of the Spirit of God. I do believe that all of us, including myself here, are at very low levels of spiritual understanding and spiritual insight and self-spiritual awareness. Artie said that when the midnight cry comes, you wake up from a, a dream, and he always says that, you know, when, you, when you're dreaming, you do things you wouldn't normally do because you're dreaming. But when you wake up from a dream, it's like, oh, how could I possibly be doing those things, thinking those things? There is an alertness, there is a, an awakeness that comes to us. And I believe God wants to do that in our lives. And that God wants to speak strong words into our lives. Strong preaching. You know, I'm very grateful for being part of Kensington Temple. I hope you don't think I'm blowing our own trumpet. But we give some strong stuff here. We give some strong stuff. I know, I know people and visitors and friends that come here and know of our ministry. I know people that, that watch what's preached by the resident preachers here, all of us, and RT and Colin, and while RT's with us, and they say, do you know what? We just don't get this in our churches. We don't get this type of confrontation of God's word to our lives, this type of, of word of discipleship, this sort of, you know, don't stay as you are. On the contrary, so we often get, you're all right as you are. God just accepts you as you are. Well, he does when you go into heaven, but he doesn't want to leave you as you are. And it's just sort of like a you're okay, we're okay, God's okay. Well, that's not okay. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? But do not consider the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What a powerful statement. This is just building on what I'm saying. Assume you've got a plank in your eye. Assume. I believe I've got many planks in my eyes. But I'm asking God to show me them. That's, that's the difference, to say, God, if, I, if I'm just not seeing it, please help me. Help me, Holy Spirit, because I can't see it. If, if you have a plank in your eye, according to this scripture, according to this scripture, you can't see it, and yet you can see things in other people's lives, that's the spirit of Phariseeism. We don't want to be Pharisees. We don't want to be, oh, do you know so-and-so, and this and that and the other, when we got bigger issues, and that we don't even realize that we've got these issues, and we're not even open or asking God to reveal these issues, and if God ever revealed them or somebody ever spoke to us about them, we'd be so offended that someone could point out something in our lives or our attitudes that we would not receive it. On the contrary, how are we going to grow? God wants to raise up an end-time church that won't be offended. 
free from offense, open to the Lord. This is what this is talking about. Lord, please restore my sight. Lord, show me the planks in my life. Show us the planks that we can remove them. This is important. God wants to show us the planks so that we can remove them to grow, to go to the next level. How many of you know we've all hardly just begun to be who God wants us to be? We, we're not to be thermometers. We're to be thermostats. Thermostats. Because the temperature of the British church at the moment... It's just above freezing. You say, don't say that, Bruce. There's plenty of things happening compared to what God wants to do or just in our state. You know, you can take a frog. If you throw it into boiling water, it'll jump out straight away. But you put a frog in lukewarm water and slowly turn it up, you can boil it to death and it won't jump out. In other words, the sensitivity to what temperature that we're in, or what temperature we're going to be at. God wants to set us on fire for, for Jesus. You know, I don't need to go to it because of time, but John chapter 9, the healing of the blind man. And the blind man gets healed. And then the Pharisees look at him and say, hey, glorify God, this man who healed you is a sinner. And the blind man just knows what he's seen. He says, I don't know this, I don't know the other. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. That's all he knew. That's all he knew. But the Pharisees were trying to, to attack Jesus. And when they came to Jesus, Jesus said, you're blind. And they said, how dare you say we're blind? And he said, that's your sin, you see. You think that you can see. I mean, even John the Baptist struggled with understanding Jesus and uh, well, actually, let's go to Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. Before we do that, here we see Jesus and his family. And those that are around him were offended by him. He teaches in their synagogues and they were astonished. And where did he get these mighty works? In verse 55 of Matthew 13. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where did this man get these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. What this is, this is the offense of over-familiarity with the anointing of God on a person's life. So I have, I have seen many, 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 many times in the ministry and with ministers that sometimes what happens is, and it shouldn't be like this, but when they allow people to get to know them, then those people begin to say, oh, they're not, they're not so spiritual after all. They're just humans like we are. Well, yes. And then they begin to think, well, you know, who is this person? Who, who, who is this person? I'm as good as they are. I'm a, and they get offended because they know someone according to the flesh. And so they disdain the anointing on their lives. They think, well, I'm just as good as you. I'm just this. I'm just the other. And, and they think and they forget. I mean, I've seen this with Colin over the years that um, he is such an open leader with those that are around him. And sometimes over the years, people have got to know him, often young people have got to know him. They've been assisting us and everything, and they get to know him, and they become familiar with him. And sometimes they, they don't respect that familiarity. They become familiar, and fam familiarity, unfortunately, sometimes breeds... There's a truism in that. It shouldn't be like that. I mean, I'm very close to Colin. I've been ministering under him and with him for 23 years now. But I tell you what, I've never lost sight of who he is in God and his gifting in God. And sometimes that can happen to us at every level. So sometimes, you know, your old friends who knew you before you were a Christian, and it's like they scoff at who you are now in God. Or your family. 
And here Jesus had that. They were so familiar with him. They were like, who is this guy? They could see what he was doing, the miracles, the teaching. But they said, we know this bloke. We were, I went to school with Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm Jesus' brother. He's losing the plot. Trust me, we, he's no better than it. Who does he think he is? Well, he didn't think he was anybody like they were thinking was. He wasn't proud. He just had an anointing on his life. And so we have this family offense. Even his, even his own colleagues at times were offended by him. John chapter 6, in fact, it's a great verse to remember. It's about the only 666 that is worth remembering. John chapter 6, verse 66. And then I've got one more verse to conclude. These are just seed thoughts for you today. John 6. There's been the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus has said to them, you, you didn't seek me because of the signs, but because you were fed. And they said, unless you eat my flesh and, and drink my blood, you can have no part in me. And then John 6, 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you, stumble you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It's the Spirit that gives life, the flesh profits nothing. And then let's go down to 66, 666. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You know, I love that passage because it's one of the turning points in Jesus' passage because Jesus was not looking to retain crowds. He was looking to make disciples. And sometimes he would make, make, he would make statements that would divide the crowds from those that really wanted to follow him. And um, I like Peter's answer because it was a difficult time and Jesus was speaking difficult words and he was testing those that were following him. And sometimes Jesus will test us in a good way to grow us. And it's like, are you going to leave me too? And it's almost like Peter is saying, do you know what, Lord? If we could, we would. But where else are we going to find the words of eternal life? Where else? He's so, like, so, well, where are we going to go? Because if there was a place... In other words, they understood that he was the one to follow even when they didn't understand him. Do you follow God when you don't understand him? Do you believe God's word when you don't understand it? When situations happen, when God speaks and you don't understand it, do you just trust him and believe in him? And then finally, Luke 7 21, John the Baptist, Luke 7, 21. And at that very hour, he cured many infirmities, afflictions, evil spirits, and to the blind, he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Offense, when offenses come, first of all, as we finish, if you haven't been offended by God recently, I'm not speaking weeks, but if you can't find the last time that God spoke to something that offended you, then I seriously question your spiritual condition. I'm not saying God's going to do it every day and every week, but I seriously question if you haven't gone to the word of God and thought, oh my God, what is this? I seriously question your growth. If, if everything is just fine and dandy, and good and easy, and has been for months and months, and God's God, and I seriously question whether you're interacting with both the spirit of the living God and the word of the living God. Because is not my word like a two-edged sword? When is the last time you felt that sword? cut between flesh and sinew? When was the last time you 
You felt those cutting words of God. They're clean incisions from Jesus' scalpel, cutting out the bad stuff in our life. It's clean, it's pure, but it's uncompromising. It's calling us to places we wouldn't normally go with God, calling us to arise to spiritualities we wouldn't consider doing. God is at work. And I say to the Holy Spirit, I do. Honestly, I want to be saying, Lord, speak to me. I don't want to be blind. I know there's been time, and I'm going on, but I, I, I'm constrained by the Spirit for another minute, I believe. Sometimes I look back at my life, and I wonder where the years went. I'm talking about ministry years. Been here 23, 24 years. And I was thinking... This area, this time, from when I was this age to that age at Kensington Temple, what was happening in my life? What was I doing? Where was I changing? How was I growing? What was I hearing? Sometimes I'm appalled because I can't remember the growth. And I'm thinking to myself, where am I with God? This isn't negative, friends. This is positive. But where am I with God? Am I going to be like this? In the next 23 years here at Kensington Temple, how far am I going to go with God? Am I just going to stay at the temperature I'm at, whatever that is? Am I going to just stay where I am? God, something's has, God has to change. There's got to be a change. There's got to be radical movements, radical changes in my spirit, radical changes in my sight. I, I don't want to be a frog. I, I want to be awakened to myself, my own condition. I want to see me as I really am. I, wa I want to be mature enough to take, to take what you're saying to me. I don't want to be oversensitive or dull or blind or deaf to you, God, where you can't speak to me, you can't rebuke me, you can't grow me because I'm, I'm so asleep or I'm so overly sensitive that I would never take your word serious. I want you to work in my life. I want there to be divine change. I want to be very different next year than I, than I am this year. I want there to be exponential growth in my spirituality. And I can't do it myself. I can't see what needs to take place. I don't know the areas. So I'm coming to you and I'm asking you, do it on the inside. Because I don't want it to be done from the outside if it can be done from the inside. Because the internal discipling of the Lord by the Spirit and the Word in our life is so much better than when he has to resort to circumstances to bash us into shape. That's just what I wanted to share with you today. God bless you.